I can't wait to play my the theme song for my dad. Oh, he's going to love it. He'll be so proud of you. I'm sure he'll be really happy to learn that an alien sucked your dick. <laughs> a dick could be anything. It's all conceptual. True. As far as I'm concerned. I agree. I'm a sapiosexual. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't believe you would let Bigfoot fuck you. I know you said you were interested in the L.A. comedy scene, but that's going way too far. <laughs> Welcome to Bimbo Summit, a podcast where two childhood best friends discuss things like lies, mysterious celebrity, gossip, unexplained events, malfeasance, paranormal or just bizarre cultural scams. We have one really solid, well-researched and definitely true conspiracy theory and another one that's just like a, a local ephemera that nobody but me cares about. So let's begin. There are some moments in history so monumental that people know exactly where they were when they heard the news. These catastrophic events create a permanent milestone in the generation's brain. JFK's assassination on November 22nd in 1963 sent ripples throughout the U.S., confirming to baby boomers everywhere that the safety that they felt at home in our heroic recovery from an age devoted to fear was far from a reality. <laughs> In January of 1986, when the Challenger space shuttle exploded, (laughs) people all across America wept for NASA's fallen astronauts. I, of course, remember 9-11. The radio broadcast played in my mother's car on the way to school, but all that I could understand were the words my mother repeated, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So my question to you, Sarah, is where Mm -hmm. were you? When you heard the news of Avril Lavigne's death. Where I was on that day. Do you want me to provide you some context? Yeah, it might be really helpful. The year was 2003, after the release of her smash album, Let Go, and before the launch of her sophomore title, Under My Skin. The rumor of Avril's death began in Brazil, with many fans citing her change in appearance, aesthetic choices, and musical stylings as the basis for this claim. Do you remember when the phrase preppy was an insult? Oh, yeah. Circa 2003-4, you and I in, in what grade? Fifth? Sixth? A dark time indeed. Brazilian fans were hurling the slur around when they began to see their icon make public appearances, swapping her trademark tie, a shirt, known colloquially as a wife beater. And baggy pants for skirts and heels. Her iron, straight, dirty blonde hair and raccoon eye makeup was traded in for voluminous platinum blonde hair and colorful shadows. Her fans also claimed that her nose shape changed, she appeared smaller in stature, her voice became higher in pitch during live performances, her signature changed, freckles migrated around her face and arms, and this imposter began wearing more revealing clothing on set. What could possibly account for these changes, her fans wondered. To them, the answer was clear. Avril Lavigne was dead and replaced by a body double named Melissa. Wow. 
at 18 years, <laughs> this is like a report. <laughs> this is incredible work. At 18 years old, Avril was thrust into the spotlight. Her record label, Arista, is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm, Arista. Her record label, Arista, initially didn't know what to do with the talented young singer, wanting a sound akin to Faith Hill. They struggled finding a fit for her voice that also matched her personal style. Well, they figured it out because Let Go sold over 16 million copies worldwide and was the 20th best-selling album of the decade. In 2003, Avril's grandfather passed away while she was on tour, meaning she could not come home to say goodbye. His passing inspired her to write Slipped Away, a song so moving that the entire comment section on YouTube is littered with RIP posts from users sharing sentiments of grief. Conspiracy theorists believe that his passing, compounded by Avril's sudden popularity and subsequent demands from the record company to continue this trajectory of success, caused her to take her own life. (laughs) They would not lose the cash cow they invested in because they had already hired a lookalike named Melissa Vandella or... Vandea. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. <laughs> to help Avril Lavigne bear the load of her overwhelming success, occasionally stepping in to make public appearances when the teen star was unable. Melissa would take Avril's place permanently and release Under My Skin with a combination of Avril's songs and Melissa's new contributions. Here's an example of the imposter singing a song. And together, she writes... of Avril Lavigne at a photo shoot and she is holding up a fist and scrawled on her fist it says Melissa. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Why would it say that? Why Melissa? Who Melissa? I could see that maybe Avril Lavigne was not comfortable with her success. She was an angsty teen. If you watch interviews, she's charismatic when she's younger and when she's older, she's pretty boring. And... Mm -hmm. When she sings live, when she's younger, she has this beautiful voice, and she's always on key. And when she's a little older, she sings off-key, and her voice is higher, and she's just not as enthralling or interesting. But I've also watched videos of Lana Del Rey singing live, and I'm not going to judge Lana Del Rey based on her live performances. (laughs) Because she's had some very bad live performances. You know, to me, this bears a... Shocking resemblance to another very famous conspiracy theory of the exact same nature, which is the Paul is dead conspiracy theory. And I would like for you to explain to me how this theory is not just directly copied and pasted from the, the famous conspiracy that Paul McCartney from the Beatles died and was replaced by a lookalike. Uh, 40 years prior to the Avril theory. Well, it is the same. It's also the same as the theory that Eminem is a different person now. So, well, there's two options here, right? One is just that this is one theory that's getting recycled and it's bullshit, whatever. And another theory is that there is a conspiracy in the world of entertainment to keep stars profitable for as long as possible. And that might even include after their own deaths, right? 
we know the record industry up until the mid 2000s was very powerful. Avril Lavigne existed in the kind of final gasp of that industry's power and profitability. And of course, it would be absolutely in their interest to keep those stars profitable after their deaths. And as we know, people in the music industry, artists in general, are, are troubled people. You know, they are probably more likely to commit suicide, to have dangerous lifestyles. So when you think about it through that lens, um, I think she's definitely dead. <laughs> what do you think? Agree. Do you think she contributed to the antipathy that Americans have towards Canadians, or does it go much further back than that? Well, she's so she has the sort of like bald-faced Canadian sincerity that I think Americans find so unattractive. Like, there's a facade of sincerity. Do you think there's like a sort of performative maudlinness to Canadians, or a performative goofiness? Like, there's the bare naked ladies side of things right but then there's the kind of Alanis Morissette like heartfelt or even Avril are you only talking about music or are you talking about like as a culture in general I mean can the two be separated think of other Canadian celebrities who are not musicians there are a lot of Canadian comedians there are yeah Mike Myers is Canadian Dan Aykroyd is Canadian Catherine O'Hara Catherine O'Hara is Canadian is Eugene Levy Canadian yeah, Eugene and Dan are Canadian. They talk about it, like, all the time. Norm MacDonald is Canadian. Jim Carrey. Phil Hartman, who I would never Aww. disrespect. Phil Hartman. Seth Rogen. Wow. Martin Short. Wait, Seth Rogen? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, like, very Canadian. Lorne Michaels. I mean, the, the father of SNL, right? Okay, so I guess everything I've said about Canada is wrong. Wait, wait, wait. Why? Because I thought they sucked, but <laughs> <laughs> but there has to be a reason why Canadian comedians are more acceptable to us than Canadian musicians, right? And it's like comedians are allowed to be a little, you know, cringy and and not always make the mark, right? But if a musician is sort of has those same qualities, it's it's much less attractive, and that's where you get the bare naked ladies from. I I conflate bare naked ladies and Smash Mouth. Yeah, I understand that. Smash Mouth are very California, though. And Bare Naked Ladies are, like, very, very Canadian. I'm going to sing a song for you, an excerpt, and you tell okay. me if it's Smash Mouth or Bare Naked Ladies. I can't get enough of you, baby. That's Smash Mouth. Here's another one. Might as well be walking on the sun. That's also Smash Mouth. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Hey, now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. I think you know that all those songs are Smash Mouth. My point is I don't know a Bare Naked Ladies song. Chickity China, the Chinese chicken. Well, sing it. No. Come on, sing a bar. No. Sing one bar. I will not do it. I have dignity, God damn it, and I will not sing a Bare Naked Ladies song. I don't believe Avril and I don't believe Alanis Morissette. I think that's the difference is... Right. I'm trying to think of someone who has a similar amount of, like, angst... But seems more sincere. But I just feel like every other American star who, like, I don't know, Courtney Love or... It's like you believe them because they're so fucking gritty. Like, there's clearly something wrong with them and you love them for it. And it's like, I can't find... Right. Courtney is very... The real faults. Courtney is extremely upfront about her flaws, right? Or like Azalea Banks is like a similarly problematic... I wouldn't exactly call her angsty, but she's like someone who can't lie, Right. And we, we love her for it. 
Whereas Avril seems like she's always lying. Well, maybe that's why this theory developed is because Mm. you just can't read her and you don't believe that she's ever sincere. So when people are seeing a change in style, it's because she never was that person to begin with. She was just whatever, you know, the, the record company needed to sell her sound. Yeah, maybe it's a larger testament to, like, the disposability of that type of entertainment, right? Especially during that time. Um, and especially with a Canadian. And that tracks to me. You fully convinced me. I believe it now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I went into this a skeptic, and now I'll, I'll never question it again. Well, what do you believe? That she's boring? <laughs> what did I convince you of? <laughs> like, I, I, I was listening to her second album, the the songs that they claim to be ancient Avril as opposed to Nova Avril. <laughs> right. And her songs have a real like 90s alt rock sound. It's like Juliana Hatfield kind of almost like it's stuff I would listen to. Mm-hmm. But the only things we know about are the pop hits. It's like in, in an earlier interview, she's just like, I'm just a rock chick. She says that I'm, I like to throw stuff or I'm a rock chick. Like, I just like to like throw stuff around and I make feel noise. Like I, I know exactly the interview you're talking about and you've unlocked something horrible in my brain that I've buried very deeply down. Well, it's like she's 18 and people are seeing that and saying, well, what happened to this angsty girl? Now she's, you know, more poised and preppy and, um, is not so expressive in interviews, but she just, she was a teenager. I mean, if you interviewed me as a teenager versus like 10 years later, I am a completely different person. I wouldn't say those things because they're embarrassing. Right. Maybe she just got uh, a hold of herself and learned to be more inhibited in a positive way. Well, she got media training. Like you can't make that much money off of like a sullen teen. It can only get you so far. If you want a huge success, you need someone who's palatable. Right. Like that gimmick is extremely one trick, but maybe her lack of continued success is related to the fact that like they couldn't media train her to be charismatic. Like the thing that was annoying about her was maybe also the thing about her that made her at least interesting. And then after they media trained her, she was just sort of um, dead eyed. Right. And and so no wonder people think it's not really her because she's just so deeply boring in those interviews. Maybe when she was 18, you saw an authentic version of herself. But what teen stays that way Mm -hmm. forever? All right. We've solved it. And that's the last word on Avril Lavigne. Quick word from our sponsors. Introducing the first installment of Now, is that music? We've done our best to approximate the songs you once loved with tracks similar enough to the original without infringing copyright. Remember this hit? Miss me God, I love that song. But what about this? I'm really feeling my punk rock fantasy. I put this on. This is the best compact disc I've ever heard in my entire life. Get your copy wherever records are sold. I don't know, Target? Okay, let's hear about your conspiracy theory. Well, here's the thing. You've mm. done you've done this whole baroque 
thing. And mine is so like dinky and local, which really in a way is perfect for our personalities. Like you're this big city slicker and I'm like a hick in a holler. Did you do Jug Rock? Well, it is like Jug Rock, Indiana rock based landform. Although it has a mystery involved that Jug Rock does not. Uh, What is the mystery? Browning Mountain or Indiana's Stonehenge. Before I get into like where it is or or what's mysterious about it, I will give you a simple description, which is that um, many people have heard of Story, Indiana, a famously very tiny town that pretty much just consists of a restaurant in and then some other buildings. The town is for sale at the moment. So Story is like this very far-flung kind of destination town that people go to. It's got almost nothing in it except this one little charming thing. If you continue past Story, Indiana, you will get to the former town of Elkinsville, Indiana, which was famously taken by eminent domain by the state government in order to make room for Lake Monroe. They were going to uh, dam up all these creeks and make a lake to make Lake Monroe so it could be the city's water supply. And all these people who lived in Elkinsville were forced out of their houses in order to make way for the lake. And part of Elkinsville is now underwater, like under the lake. There's a lot of farmland under Lake Monroe. We could do a whole episode about my sort of obsession with what's underneath Lake Monroe. But atop this hill, there is a very strange and mysterious stone formation, which I've visited a number of times now. So the mystery is, well, let me just maybe describe what it looks like. So you go, you know, you you find this trailhead. It's like an incredibly quiet place. You walk up this hill, you turn to the right, and you're on the top of this ridge. Right when you get to the edge where the slope begins to go down again, you suddenly see like dozens and dozens and dozens of truly gigantic square regular rocks some of them are like i don't know the size of a dresser the size of a a nightstand some of them are the size of a a car and the interesting thing about them is that they do appear to be like hewn by human hands or quarried by human hands they have like cut marks on them some of them have bore holes and that's where the real mystery comes from so the thing that people kind of go back and forth about that is unknown is Were these rocks brought here from somewhere else or were these rocks found here, quarried, and then just never taken down or never used, which seems, I don't know, weird. Um, One thing that I've never seen mentioned online but I noticed is that there are wagon ruts like in the side of the hill. I grew up in Yellowwood Forest in Brown County and in a lot of places in Yellowwood, you'll notice that like along the side of rural roads, especially up on hills, you can still see the like two indentations from wagon wheels, like where the wagon trail was. And those are called wagon ruts. So the question is like, were those wa- wagon ruts there because they brought these giant strange rocks up to this mountain or are they there because it was part of some kind of, you know, quarrying operation? I want to know what kind of rocks they are because to me, they just look like sandstone, which is very local and normal and occurs all over Brown County. But other people online have said that they're this form of limestone that I had never heard of before called Keok limestone that doesn't occur anywhere nearby in Indiana. The closest place in Indiana that you could quarry Keok limestone is Floyd County, which would be very, very far by like 1800s or whatever standards. The other prevailing story that gets told about Browning Mountain is that it is some sort of Native American site of ceremonial importance. There was a Herald Times article from 2012, 2013, 
written by a guy who would not divulge the location of Browning Mountain, but he described an experience of going there with his friend who was Native American to perform a ceremony. And I looked him up. He's not from Indiana, though. So I would be interested to know if Browning Mountain has any like historical significance to Native American tribes from the area or if it's just you know, something that's been more recently adopted as, you know, a sacred and beautiful place. That's not something that Native American people in Indiana seem to want to talk about publicly for totally understandable reasons. When you go out there, you can also see um, possibly the foundation of an old house. I've heard stories about a well, but I could not find it when I was there. So what is the conspiracy? There are people who believe that it is um, sort of like Stonehenge proper, Um, that it's a place where people have been abducted by aliens or that aliens are the ones who brought the stones there because they're so massive and possibly non-native. And, you know, it's the only explanation that makes sense for how the stones could have gotten to the top of this hill. The, The mystery is, are these stones from here? If not, how did they get here? Even if they are, who was running a quarrying operation on the top of a mountain in the 1800s in one of the most remote parts of Brown County and why? I think the thing about it that's interesting to me is the extremely massive scale. When you first go there, it looks like maybe 12 or 15 rocks. But if you walk the sort of going down the side of the hill, there's hundreds of them. And they're all kind of falling down the side of this mountain. So uh, I would like to know, like, why were they abandoned? If they were quarried, where's the quarry pit? You know, there's no like when I think of a quarry, I think of like a limestone quarry, which is square and cut. And there's a very obvious hole in the ground where the stones are being quarried from. And here there's no hole. There's no like source of the stones that I can figure out. They're just like plopped on the top of this mountain. Um, And that is very interesting to me. I've tried to look into this. It doesn't seem like it's been researched. I thought that I would maybe be able to find an easy answer because usually when there was a historical settlement somewhere, it was documented, you know, at least in part. And another thing that's interesting is if those stones were quarried from that area, how come the structures around that area, like down at the base of the hill, don't seem to be made from those stones? You know, like people didn't have the ability back then to transport one to two, I don't know, one to two ton stones very far. They're heavy. They're, the point is they're heavy. So like if you were quarrying stones from the top of a hill, presumably you wouldn't be taking them that far, right? So why is it that none of the houses or none of the structures down at the base of the hill, of which there are like four or five surviving from Elkinsville, um, seem to be made of those stones at all? Where did they come from and where did they go? And I will say, like, having been there several times, there's a there's an unmistakable vibe. Not a bad vibe, not a good vibe, just a weird vibe. Does it feel like someone's watching you? It feels like someone's watching you. It feels, um, it feels like you kind of, this is going to sound extremely wooey, but, like, it feels like you are entering a defined space. Like, when you get up the mountain and you get close to them, you kind of feel like, oh, I'm... Like, you know what a time slip is? No. Time slip is this idea of, like, uh, you know, there are certain areas. This is what that book, Picnic at Hanging Rock, is all about. There are, like, certain areas, especially in in nature, especially kind of treacherous or strange nature, that um, that are, like, portals into other times. And maybe not even, like, a real specific time in history, but, like, you're kind of outside of time when you're in them. What's a borehole? 
like a hole that someone bored into. <laughs> like I'm doing to you. Like for what purpose? I don't know. I'm I've seen limestone with boreholes in it, but I'm not sure what the what the function of a borehole is. Maybe to like see if it's a solid piece. You bore down into it. Yeah. What tool would you use? Um a pole. <laughs> a blunt pole? I don't know, dog. A borehole. Let me read to you from wikipedia.com. A borehole is a narrow <laughs> shaft bored into the ground. Okay, so I'm imagining I'm going up to this mountain. I'm like, mm, oh, it's so quiet up here. Oh, my goodness. Is that a sedan? No, it's a rock. Look at all these holes and these 90 degree angles. You would be shocked to find the PDF I just found called Borehole Drilling in Sedimentary Rocks. Wow. We really should have had Dylan on this episode. He's our friend who knows the most about rocks. I don't think anyone else wants to hear about any more of this. <laughs> Look, we have a good balance going. You have a, a mystery full of intrigue, international superstars, the record industry, and mine's about a rock. <laughs> Hundreds of rocks. Hundreds. I mean, I've not counted, but I can tell you it's a shitload. Okay, what's our sign-off? All lies lead to the truth. All right, good night, guys. All lies lead to the truth. <laughs> oh, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. I'm Izzy. And that's Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're talking as the puppet. Hi, I'm Izzy, and that's Sarah. I feel like if you put the puppet down, you would start talking normally again. What were you saying? <laughs>